Hey, this is Pastor Dan jumping in real quick to begin this recording for uh, Worship by Phone for the week of September 26th. On that Sunday, uh, Edgeboro welcomed its first student pastor that it's had in five years since I've been here. Uh, so we are grateful to receive uh, Noah Smith uh, from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, a second-year seminary student at Moravian Theological Seminary as our student pastor. Uh, he began this Sunday and will be with us uh, during the academic years for the next two years. Uh, so we are grateful for his presence with us. You'll be hearing his voice around the church a lot more uh, in the uh, months and uh, a few years to come. Uh, so with that, here's Noah to uh, read our scripture reading for today. Then you'll hear my sermon, and then you will hear Noah once again close us out with his benediction. Good morning. I'm glad to be starting my time here with you at Edgeboro. Today, our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 through 50. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. Taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to have entered life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off also. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So, sometimes as you go through the lectionary cycle of, of assigned passages throughout the church year that we go through, uh, sometimes those uh, passages are a little bit tough to read. Um, Noah, that was an amazing job of reading a really tough passage your first time here at Edgeboro. Um, I 
we couldn't have planned you talking about some of the things that Jesus mentions there. Uh, but in any case, I think it's good to, to realize sometimes that, well, those passages aren't always easy to hear, especially when they talk about losing hands and eyes and stuff like that. Um, just a quick note, even though this isn't really part of what I'm going to be talking about, just know that if you, if you remember, Jesus takes a child in his arms when he first is talking to the disciples, and it never really says that he let the child go, meaning that somehow Jesus was talking about all this really hard stuff with a child on his lap. And I don't know if he put earmuffs on the kid while he's talking about this or what, but that certainly impacts the tone in which you read this with, right? People tend to speak a little bit differently when there's a kid on your lap. These verses have been really troublesome in the past, really hard to interpret. I've had some really violent interpretations in, the his in history and around the world, even today. So I just wanted to acknowledge the difficulty of that, the difficulty that Noah kind of had to go through while he was reading that. But also wanted to point out that, well, maybe there's a different tone in which to read that if a child was on his knee. In any case, back to your regularly scheduled program. A couple Sundays ago, and that's a really hard time to, to recall what we talked about a few weeks ago. It's hard for me too, typically because I, I talk up here, and then as soon as Monday morning comes around, I'm off thinking about the next Sunday. So I really had to force myself to think back a couple weeks ago we read from the middle of chapter 7, we've kind of been traveling on and off with Jesus and the disciples through the Gospel of Mark. We started off somewhere in the middle of chapter 7. It was the story of the Syrophoenician woman. When, uh, when she came into the house that Jesus was staying at and she asked if Jesus could heal her daughter and after some convincing from the woman, Jesus finally did. But before that moment, we noted Jesus' location, that this story with the Syrophoenician woman kicked off kind of a, a, a local tour, if you will, that Jesus and the disciples went on. Their home base was Galilee, which was the, re the region around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and uh, at this time, they met the Syrophoenician woman after they had traveled a really long way. They had walked about 30 miles to the northwest to a city called Tyre, which is off the Mediterranean coast. A 30-mile walk, we noted, would take about 12 hours. So there was some intentionality behind Jesus and the disciples going that far out of their way to experience a new world. Because this wasn't, you know, this wasn't Kansas anymore. They, Galilee was a Jewish territory. Now in Tyre and in the other places that we see Jesus and the disciples traveling through, uh, this is foreign territory, literally foreign territory. These are different people, non-Jewish people, people that have never met them before, that I guess kind of know about Jesus now that he's been doing some miracles for a little bit, but, but really don't know him as a person. So they're encountering a lot of strangers, a lot of foreign people, and they do a lot of learning along this way. So they travel 30 miles to Tyre, and then they kind of do a roundabout, really, really big loop in order to get back to Galilee. If, if you were drawing this out on a map, it'd be a really big clockwise loop, starting in Galilee, Galilee, going to the Mediterranean Sea, and all the way around. This is important to remember that Jesus is doing some traveling here because this was the beginning of their tour. And now what we read here today 
they finally arrived back in Galilee. This is the end of the trip. This moment that we see Jesus talking to his disciples kind of remind me of a recap of a class trip. When you're a teacher, sometimes when you go on a field trip, you want to plan an assignment or at least have a conversation to debrief what you just saw, especially if it, you know, it was more on the educational side of things rather than the fun side of things. Uh, this moment reminded me of school because this is literally a class trip that Jesus and the disciples went on. The word disciple literally means student. So this is Jesus talking to his class after they got back from a class trip. I think it's important to, to, to frame it that way because then we can see kind of what Jesus is trying to get from his disciples. What do they still need to learn after their trip? What, what am I observing about them that we need to talk about, that we didn't cover along the way, or that maybe, maybe they're just not getting something that we clearly learned along the trip, but it didn't quite sink in. And that's clearly the case here. So in order to get to that, to see what the disciples are still missing, to see what Jesus is seeing among them, Let's recap what this trip consisted of. We kind of have a little bit of an idea that they went in one giant loop uh, in foreign territory, but here's what happened along the way. So we get to the Syrophoenician woman, the first stop along the way, in a non-Jewish territory. And Jesus seems kind of hesitant to heal a non-Jewish girl. He initially says it's his job to help the Jewish people first, and it wasn't time yet to help non-Jewish people. But something about that Syrophoenician woman changed the course of this whole trip. Because after that conversation, Jesus went on a tear of helping non-Jewish people. He didn't stop the whole entire time. He healed the woman's daughter. Right after that, he healed a blind man. And then he fed 4,000 non-Jewish people with bread and fish in the same way he fed 5,000 people the first time in Jewish territory. And then he heals another blind man along the way. At some point then, he decides to send the disciples off to help the non-Jewish people in the ways that he would. So sends them off to, to go heal people and drive out demons and stuff like that. So while he's doing one of those kind of things where he sends the disciples off to do their thing, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And this is a part of the story we didn't read because it wasn't the time of year to read it. But... He took Peter, James, and John and went up on a mountaintop, transfigured in front of them to show them that he really is the Son of God. And then they come down to find the other disciples failing to heal a boy with a possessed spirit. Jesus heals the boy for them, and they make it there to their home stretch of the trip. And so after all of that, they finally reach the region of Galilee, and this is where we are today. So I know I can only do so much summarizing right now. It's really helpful if you go back and just read chapter 7 and 8 and then into 9 just to see how the arc of the story goes. But notice that during this trip, the disciples had many opportunities to learn how much they really didn't know yet. There was one moment, right, where they couldn't heal that boy with the Spirit, and so they made some mistakes there, and Jesus had to kind of clean up their mess and make everything better. I'm sure there were more moments as they learned how to heal people and interact with people that they made mistakes along the way that we didn't get to hear about in Scripture. 
There was also more than one occasion where the disciples don't understand what Jesus is saying at all, and then they don't ask questions, and then they're confused. So there are a lot of humbling moments for the disciples along the way of this trip, but it did not keep them, those far from perfect disciples, from then having a conversation about who was the greatest. Here's a group of people that kept making mistakes and failing and didn't know everything along the way, and all of a sudden they're trying to decide who's number one among them. They're trying to rank the class list here. So of course, Jesus sees how backwards this is. So he identifies that the disciples have something more to learn here. Clearly, they were struggling with just internal group dynamics and just how to get along. Really, they just wanted to find their place in the group. So Jesus identified that and talked a little bit about that. Now, based on how the conversation changes on a dime, notice that the disciples didn't respond to any of that the first shall be last kind of stuff that Jesus was talking about. All of a sudden, John says, hey, there's another problem we got to deal with. There are some people that are not part of this group that are doing the work of this group, and that's not right, so we stopped them. Notice how during the trip that they had just been on, how many opportunities the disciples had to learn about and cherish people who were different than themselves. They were in foreign territory the whole time. This is a whole teaching experience about how to get along with people that are different than yourselves. Yet here they are, concerned about, maybe even scared of, people different than themselves. Jesus sees that they have more learning to do here, and clearly they're struggling not just with internal group dynamics, but external group dynamics, and they're trying to figure out how to get along with different people. So Jesus talks about that too. So this whole teaching from Jesus is, I guess simply put, how to accept and serve other people but it also speaks to our own desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, to be a part of a community, finding your group, finding your place within that group, personal identity, group identity. Uh, it's, this is what the disciples are wrestling with at this time. And it's something that we continue to wrestle with today. It's a human struggle all the time to figure out where we fit into a group. We spend our whole lives trying to figure out who we are and who our people are. As a student or an employee, a family member, a friend or a church member, we are always trying to figure out stuff like who finds us valuable, what is it that we do is valuable, how we rank among other people, how we identify ourselves or our groups, what defines us, how we fit in and what sets us apart. And as I think about why figuring those things out is important to me, is important to us, I, I think what lies underneath all of that is a desire to belong to something special. As people, we have a desire to belong. We want the groups that we're in to be exclusive or have defining characteristics because we want our groups to be unique and vital and irreplaceable among other groups so that we can continue to belong and always belong. Whether it's a job or a friend or, or, or a friend group or a church, we want to belong. We want to belong to something. And we will do a lot of things in order to make sure we belong and in order to make sure that we stay belonging. Even if that means taking a survival of the fittest approach like the disciples did. 
by trying to prove their group is worth more than other groups or trying to prove that they are worth more than their fellow disciples. See, the good news that Jesus gives to all of us and something that Moravians have been reminded of because of a new emerging ministry in Wisconsin is that you belong. It's why Jesus hangs out with the sick and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and others who have been forgotten. It's why he seems really harsh when he warns his disciples not to cause anyone to stumble when they're coming to him, right? Don't get in between me and someone who wants to come to me. You belong. That's Jesus' message. There's no competition or interview. There's no doubt about this, and there's nothing you have to do about it either. You were created to belong with Christ. And as much as we struggle to find where we belong and prove our worth to others and other groups in this world, we don't have to do that with Jesus. Instead, our belonging with Jesus should dictate our actions, right? We don't have to act in order to belong to something. We belong, and therefore, we love others because we belong with Christ, and they belong too. Jesus ends this conversation with a final simple phrase. He says, be at peace with one another. And it seems like this is a really simple closing, a really easy benediction to to stop this post-class trip conversation. But it's really more than that. It's really the entire conversation in a nutshell. The word peace from the Hebrew understanding, shalom means come together, close the separation, bridge the gap, become one. And here, by saying be at peace with one another, Jesus specifically says, close the separation between you, between someone else, between the group, between y'all. Even though Moravians talk about unity all the time, in such an individualistic and polarized time and place that we live in, that's more countercultural than it sounds, which makes this reminder of our belonging, of all of our belongings with Christ so important. Time and time again, Jesus reminds you that you belong with him. You are not expendable. You do not have to prove your worth and claw your way to the top. You will not be separated from him because you belong. And while that message is to you as an individual, it's also said to many individuals, not just us. Meaning that we are called to serve others and we are called to be a servant of all because they belong too. Even the stranger, we are called to serve those who also belong with Christ. So today, may our reminder be that we do belong with Christ. And may our call be to love others because they belong to Christ too. May we be at peace with one another. Class dismissed. Amen. Again, as Jesus called the twelve, he said to them, Whoever wishes to be first among you must be last of all and servant of all. So let us go together as one in the body of Christ and serve. Amen.